Hey everybody, welcome back to our low effort, low quality podcast. This is Liz Brunig. I'm here with my husband, Matt Brunig. Hello everyone. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to a few people I found inspirational on Twitter in the past week. Uh, first, a mention has to be given to our friend Post Proof Rock, who bofa John Chait. Yeah, haven't seen a bofa in, out in the wild in a long time. It I was amazing. He's an artist. It's it an was artist. really good. Yeah, the windup was really good. Very believable. Presenting himself as an ER doctor. You're an officer and a gentleman, Post Proof Rock. Yeah, he did a good one. Drew Toothpaste did a good one. He did? He was the one that made a fake version of the what even is this this indictment about russia yes <laughs> with the one where where it was saying uh they did sixteen thousand shit posts or whatever yes and then that got shared and reported at <laughs> npr and i mean all i mean five six different outlets <laughs> it was very good it was very good and uh i also wanted to shout out to someone who told me uh, I can't remember the username that I sounded like a burnout from Eugene, Oregon on my left, right and center podcast appearance. <laughs> if I if I can be a little bit, you know, uh, you did seem tired. You seemed a little tired. I was very tired. Um, <laughs> not as energetic, you I know, was, I was as very you are on this cast. I was tired. It was so, you know, my my patterns are I'm more active at night. Yeah. Monocronal. Well, I, I've, I mean... I thought it was just situational, you yeah, know. Yeah, well, a <laughs> little bit of that. But, I, I mean, it was earlier in the day, and, you know, it, came, it just it takes me a little while to get going, you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, I could see it. I, I, I don't think I would have done any better, frankly, with I'm, the subjects being discussed. I'm a nocturnal animal, and um, <clears throat> I think you would have just laid out and not said anything or said pass. <laughs> um okay that sounds good what's the next subject that's what i would say probably yeah no fun no not participatory never in the spirit of things i mean i just i had a good time i had a good time it was a good talk and i hope you all listened to left right and center i had a good time and it was a good talk and uh and there's one other guy i want to i want to just give a shout out to on twitter His twitter honorable mention is the dude whose handle is joseph comrade i don't know this guy you haven't seen him? So do you know who Joseph Conrad is? Heart of Darkness. Yeah, exactly. You wrote Heart of Darkness. So there's a guy who goes by Joseph Conrad. I've never read that book. I don't actually know what it's about. Didn't we have to? We had to read it in high school. Well, you know, they assign books. That I mean, you read them. You didn't read the books that they assigned in AP English? Rarely. How did you get away with it? How did, you, how did your grades survive? You know, you can kind of sort of like Jeopardy, you know, with the... <laughs> You can kind of figure out what the answer is. I got one question. I remember they're asking us like, what color this character's eyes were, and like that was supposed to be really relevant, you know. Mm. And I was like, well, it must be black because I mean, what what other significance does any normal eye color have? And I went with that. A plus. That's how you can do it. If you. If you you know, if you do a little Jeopardy, some cleverness, you can kind of figure things out. I feel like life has been so unimaginably hard on you in some sectors that in others it just goes easy on you. Like every time you've ever been pulled over by a cop, you when I've been in the car, you've never gotten a ticket. Nah, that's that run out. 
that ran out Your a long time ago. Oh yeah. You used to say to me, "The police can't touch me." No, they couldn't for a while. <laughs> and now I get snaps from these traffic cameras <laughs> well, too. Well, you know you the can't robots. Get out of that one. The robots, they're not merciful. Yeah, even now, even when I get pulled over, I still get I get I get stuff these days, so you know. Well, now your fortunes have improved in other sectors of your life, so maybe your cop leeway has gone away. I don't know what it is. You know, when you're younger, I think you're more sympathetic to some degree. Remember that time you got me a ticket for jaywalking in Southlake and you just told me I'm never going to pay my ticket. I'm never coming back here and I had to pay my ticket. Yeah, it's a ridiculous ticket. And yeah, what are they going to do? They're going to come chase you You across city limits? You made me jaywalk and you said, whatever, I'm not paying this ticket. My parents were super pissed and I had to pay my ticket. It wasn't really jaywalking in like a normal dangerous sense. It was at a light and it was going through the cycle where you have a protected left arrow, but there was no one going left on the protected left arrow. So for all intents and purposes, you had a straight shot if you were trying to cross in the same direction as the green. And so I was just like, okay, well, I'll just go across because, you know, you can wait for the arrow to go yellow and then go away and then you get the walk sign but why do that if no one's turning left you know what i mean it was a ticky tacky thing i it was i mean it was completely ridiculous and as you notice in a in a, in a uh, one of the way i got out of another ticket was i when i got pulled over i talked about how i had gotten a jaywalking ticket yeah that was a subsequent ticket where you were definitely doing like 80 down a stone of thoroughfare in the middle of arlington in the middle of the night this was actually in oklahoma were we it in Oklahoma? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It was 45 and a 30, flat. and he pulled me over, and yeah, I don't remember how it came up, but I told him the story of how back in Texas, those jackoffs <laughs> gave me a ticket for, for jaywalking. I remember. It was like this moment yeah. where like, like you were momentarily possessed, and like you were extremely charming with him. And he was like, that's ridiculous. I can't believe someone gave you a jaywalking yeah, ticket. Yeah, you made him laugh. You were like, oh, back in Texas, those those dumb you idiots. You know those guys. You know what they say about people in Texas and then do some sort of homophobic joke or something. <laughs> I don't think you did that. No, nah, but you know. Yeah, but it, you were bro in, in that, that wheelhouse. You were like, you took on this bro tone and I was like, I was shocked. I actually don't have a good memory of it. You I just used to be able to do that. After you petitioned for Nader that summer, you had like a little bit of bro energy that you'd picked up from confronting all those people to get them to sign stuff. It wasn't confrontation, but you were right. Uh, I had a situation where I spent a whole summer on all I did was talk to strangers, which is really, really hard for me personally. But, you know, I sort of threw myself into it. And you're just stopping strangers and trying to get them to sign a petition for you. And... You know, you do that for nine months or for nine weeks straight, talking to probably 200, 300 people a day, every day, no breaks. That loosens you up a little bit, you know, <laughs> and makes you makes you okay for a little while. And then you get out of practice, or at least I did, and return to, to some degree to my old social dysfunctional ways. Um, but yeah, for a little bit I was like, "Ooh, yeah, I can talk to people. It's not so it's not so it's not so bad. It's not so hard." That sort of thing. Anyway, shout out to Joseph Comrade. I like your handle. I do think the guy who said I sounded like a burnout from Eugene, Oregon in the 90s had a point. 
And congrats again to Post Proof Rock on the BOFA for Chate and Drew Toothpaste on the uh, the shit post, the LOL, LMAO indictment. That was fantastic. Good job, everybody. Good week on Twitter, I felt like. Norway's not socialist. <laughs> yeah, so the, the second subject is um, I wanted to talk about people who write about the Nordic countries in the US. I I don't know if I want to say I'm like an expert. I mean, I guess I should say that since everyone just asserts these sorts of things, but I've spent a lot of time, a lot of time. I mean, you've seen it. Thousands and th I mean, 10 I don't even know, thousands of hours just pouring through everything on these countries. And then you have takesters who put out stuff, they probably have not spent more than 30 minutes, an hour, two hours. Usually it's all repeating a number of lines that have been produced by someone else, right? You kind of can follow the through line and be like, oh, this was a post that someone put together like four years ago and everything's just kind of, every other post is derivative of it. Um, but there's just a lot of bad writing on it from like all directions, people say things that just aren't true about them all the time. Um, and I've been trying as, as part of people's policy project and as part of, you know, just in general advocating, trying to like bust as many of these myths as I can and express them, you know, <laughs> try to explain these countries better. It's um, admirable. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's important to because you know, I do think that these countries are way more socialized than anyone in the US is aware of, especially um, Norway and, and Finland. Um, and so, but, but what has formed over the past few years is there's this line that both kind of libertarians and I would say liberals have adopted where they say, oh, well, these are just countries, they, they have uh, high taxes, they have a welfare state. But I mean, other than that, that's basically all that's going on. And that's not all that's basically going on. Boom. It's just not. Boom. And so, you know, this week we had a, a few people writing about this. Um, Jeffrey Dorfman at Forbes decided to just sort of relitigate this stuff, which again was another one of the uh, another one of the uh, derivative takes the of takes that have been going on forever. So he says, the myth of Nordic socialism is partially created by confusion between socialism, meaning government exerting control or ownership of business, and the welfare state in the form of government-provided social safety net programs. That is like a perfect encapsulation of what has become a kind of conventional wisdom in the US. Oh, yeah. people, they call them socialists and their parties, like their social democratic party and their other left parties, they'll call themselves socialist parties and that sort of thing. But really, it's just about welfare state and social safety net. Yeah. But that's just not the case. So I mean, when he says, for instance, socialism, meaning government exerting control or ownership of business, he's saying they don't do that. They absolutely do that, right? So like I wrote a piece in Current Affairs this week where I talk about their state-owned enterprises in those, in those countries. Yeah. Sweden has 48 state-owned enterprises. Finland has 67. Norway has 74. Um, and Norway in particular is the one I've been focusing on a lot lately. Um, Norway owns 
Equinor, which used to be called State Oil, and that is uh, the biggest oil company in the country and one of the bigger oil com companies in the world, frankly. Um, this is a state-owned company that was created to basically nationalize the oil sector yeah. in the country. They own the largest telecom company, which is called Telenor. Mm -hmm. They own the largest financial services group, which is called DNB. They also own, I didn't put this in my piece, but they own a couple of companies uh, that are called, one of, one of them's called Statecraft, and the other one's called Norsk Hydro. Yeah. And these are hydroelectric companies. They, they like, you know, generate energy from hydropower. They do other things as well. I think Norsk also makes aluminum and does some like wind stuff. But like Statecraft is the largest energy production company in Norway, the third largest in the Nordic region. And Norsk Hydro is also really large. Um, and th they basically supply, I mean, so like Norway, people don't, another factoid about Norway is something like 95% of their energy, household energy comes from hydro. Uh -huh. And then hydro energy production is basically nationalized. So that's a huge amount of... Yeah, so yeah. it's like, okay, so they've nationalized the energy production right. for their country and also nationalized oil production and also nationalized telecom and also nationalized the bank. They don't nationalize the whole sector. Some of those sectors have competition in them, but they own the biggest company in all the sectors. Um, and it's like, like I mean, no one, no one ever mentions any. I, I'm, I'm, I don't think anyone ever bothers when they go. You know, they don't own businesses. I don't think they ever bother to like Google. No, no, no. Like, like all you got to do if you Google Norway state ownership, you go, go. It doesn't take that long to find <laughs> these companies. Well, no, they just they have an opinion of what socialism looks like, and they're like, it's an authoritarian thing where business doesn't happen. And then when this doesn't match that, they're like, oh well, I can just dash off a take about how there are still businesses that are operational in Norway, and therefore it can't be socialist. Well, I, I honestly don't think they have any awareness that these enterprises exist. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's a situation where they're like, well, they seem like good. F I mean, obviously, it starts out where they're like, well, these are successful companies. Countries that that is now an accepted thing. No yeah. one really contests that. It used to be people would contest it and say these countries are not good. They're not working very well. Yeah. Now no one contests that. So if it's working well, then of course you're going to say these are not socialists, and so of course then you're going to be like, oh, that's just that's just the welfare state. That's just yeah. taxes. They're not owning the means of production. Come on, ha ha ha. Right. But I don't think that from there. I don't think that they ever bothered to check into that. Right. I don't think they ever bothered it. So it's not even they're, they're just like, well, they might own those things, but uh, other things are privately owned. I, they, I don't think they have any awareness that, the, that there's this, like that Finland owns an airline company. Right. Like, like American Airlines, but like literally American Airlines. Right. In Finland. Right. Is it Finnair? Yeah, Finnair. So, you know, what are we doing here? I, and so I just try to keep pushing this, pushing this, and pushing this. And be like, look, look at all these state-owned enterprises. Look at them, look at them, look at them. They're right here. You could go see them. <laughs> one, um, one thing I have noticed, and it, I, it makes me feel bad about myself, although almost everything does, 
uh, is that uh, when people want to debate, uh, especially in front of large audiences about socialism, and they know that you and I both have this um, interest in sort of the Nordic social democracies, they, they'll invite me. I'll be like, oh, come, come debate our expert on capitalism about socialism. And I'll be like, why don't you, why don't you take my husband? No one wants to debate and me. And they won't take you. People don't debate me. Every time, that every time I get invited, I always say, why don't you take my husband instead? He's, uh, he's very good on the numbers. And if, if your capitalist person considers themselves highly numerate and uh, very, very much data-based and uh, arguing straight from the facts and not making a philosophical case from capitalism, but making rather a case from realism and facts on the ground, which is what all the capitalists say they're doing, then I'm like, you should take Matt because that's really the vein he argues in. I'm I'm arguing in a kind of different vein. And they always are like, no, no, no. Well, it's Matt's attitude. <laughs> uh, oh, Matt's demeanor. And I'm like, no, the reason that you won't take Matt is because you want their you want the debate to come to a kind of draw where people can draw their own conclusions. You want me to get up there and give my moral case and you want to give your moral case for freedom. And you know as well as I do that there's not going to be a decisive kill. But you know if you get mad up there, there's going to be a kill. There might be. There's a risk of it. That's what's going on. There's a risk. I mean, I feel like, uh, yeah, may, maybe that's what's going on. I mean, there are there are a lot of reasons people pick. I mean, you're a Washington Post uh, journalist. I'm also a girl, and people aren't afraid of debating girls. I mean, like, I'm more than happy. Well, sometimes to they want a balanced gender mix. I yeah. mean, there are a lot of reasons. I, I um, mean, I'm more than happy to talk. Anyone who wants to talk to me about my point of view, I'm happy to talk. But I, I do think it's ridiculous that so many people pose this case about the Nordic social democracies not being socialist and, and in particular not having ownership in businesses and... They refuse to give you a chance to make this very simple case that you've made a million times. All over the place. All over the place. I mean, for a long time, I didn't really talk too much about that aspect of them because, I mean, what I was interested in, what I still am primarily interested in is the welfare state because I think that's usually a prerequisite to, you know, getting really good stuff if people are more secure. And it's also, you know, it's, I mean, if you want to fix poverty, which is still my, like, most important thing, that's the answer. State-owned right. enterprise is not going to fix poverty. Right. So you, the welfare state is. But so, you know, but, but since I've started People's Policy Project, I've just been banging this over and over again. Look at all these state-owned enterprises. Look how much uh, capital they own through various wealth funds. I mean, look, you know, the Norwegian government owns a third of all the equity in the country. And then on top of that owns... 1.4% of all equity in the world, which is a 5.5 million uh, person country. Um, all this is owned collectively. All this is understood as being owned collectively. If you, again, just read the documents that they put out on their websites right. and watch the videos that they put out on their websites, they're like, uh, this is a fund for all Norwegians divided equally for generations to come, blah, blah, blah. We should own these things collectively. Um, the natural resource part is a big, they say, look, of course our hydro companies are going to be, uh, publicly owned. Who else deserves the value of our moving water? Right. Why would it, why does a private company get to make money off the fact that water moves and you can run it through a turbine off of waterfalls and stuff? 
What? Right. That doesn't make any sense. What did you do to make rivers? Right. And it's like, okay, that makes sense. But yeah, so I mean, that's part of it. I mean, another aspect of this is they'll say um, they use these measures, these completely bogus, like nonsense measures yeah. of like economic freedom. Yeah. The heritage has the most, I guess, famous one of those. I think there are a few others with the Fraser Institute and stuff like that. And one interesting thing about these um, measures is they don't use public ownership. Right. In the measures. <laughs> so it's like you're you're counting this as a measure of capitalism versus socialism. And there is no index there's nothing in the index there's no variables in the index that count up how much does the state own right nothing so it's like okay so what is this even measuring and then when you get into it's like oh well it's measuring regulation and stuff like that and right. you're like okay um so how does it measure regulation i right off the bat my head just spins i'm like all right how on earth are you going to compare the code of federal regulations in the u.s this massive sprawling text to whatever the equivalent is in sweden numerically mm-hmm. numerically do they allow um do they allow uh, contact lenses with a prescription or do you not need a prescription like uh, and you're gonna add all that up <laughs> all that up and come up and tell me which one. Oh no we don't do that oh well, what do you do how do you determine who has more regulation or not uh well what we do is we count the number of steps you have to take to start a business. It's pretty good. Okay, so what are some of the steps? Well, so in the U.S., uh, or I guess let's start with another country. Uh, what you need to do is you need to file a form with the corporation's register, and then you have to file this other form with the tax register, and then you have to open a bank account. Can't argue with that. Like, okay, that's that's three steps. That's yeah. That seems pretty easy. What's it in the U.S.? It's the same thing, but... Because the U.S. is uh, federalist, yeah, uh, you not only have to file a form with the federal tax authority, but also with the state tax uh-huh. authority and the local tax authority. Right. Uh, and then there's another step you have to do as well. Okay. So as you can see, the U.S. is twice as regulated as this country. That's just that's just the facts that's on the ground. That's just math. We just we added yeah. up the steps, and it's just like it's you don't total, have to like it. It's total insanity i mean it's, it's completely insane i mean i've had to start an entity because i had to start people's yeah. policy project and i had to register yes with two different tax authorities and you know it it did take me an extra 20 minutes to go to the dc website after i went to the federal government website and that was you know it would be nice if i didn't have to do that but i don't know if that really is a good indicator that the u.s uh, has uh, more regulation than uh, sweden i just don't know if you can argue with the math <laughs> that's how these things work and it's just my and like no one bothers to even check though right like it's like well uh heritage uh, they say that uh sweden has a 87.1 regulatory freedom boom it's to a decimal point so i mean you know it's precise 87.1 i mean how do you argue with that u.s it's it's more like a 80.3 oh, okay oh, wow, wow you really got me man thank you that's <laughs> a really and then no one goes, well, maybe I should click through to see right, how right. the hell do you get 87.1 regulatory points? How does that even work? What ah. numbers are at stake here? I'm not even going to bother to 
to click through at that level. Um, and that's like, that's half of the arguments are just that. Right. It's just, just total nonsense. And also, you know, by and by, a function of the fact that we have distributed government. Right. We're less, we are more regulatory, quote unquote, under this measure because we have less centralization. But you're against centralization, right? You're conservative. You don't like centralization, right? These extra administrative hurdles are a function of federalism. Right. Of local power, of having to having state governments and local governments and so you know. Just a prisoner so of your own device. Yeah, so you're like you're getting dinged. You're getting dinged. Right. Literally you're getting dinged as being uh, 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 these countries are being I mean, not dinged in their view, but dinged in sort of the socialist view, I guess, of, of being less regulated. They're getting called less regulated because they have much stronger central government. It's just, it's maddening. Completely maddening. Um, but yeah, so I mean, that's what I kind of spent this week doing. And, you know, it's, it's fun. I, I do think eventually if I keep plugging his home. Ryan Cooper had a piece about it also, about Norway being having all these state-owned enterprises and stuff. And I've been, for my uh, social wealth fund paper, I've been adding up all the wealth owned by various Norwegian governmental entities. And, you know, I've had some pieces uh, that I've been trickling out as I've been doing this research. Teasers, yeah. Yeah, where I had found like 76% of all the wealth in Norway's own by the government, if you exclude owner-occupied housing, yeah, um, which is not really, I mean, it's capital sort of. It's it's not a it's not business, you know, um, and sixty percent if you include it. So even if you include owner-occupied housing, Norwegian government owns sixty percent of the wealth in the country. It's not bad. That, by the way, that statistic you might think that might be an interesting statistic for uh, an index of socialism versus capitalism. Sounds reasonable. No, not included. No, well, but I mean, how many st- how many steps? We wouldn't. One add question I have is about steps. How many st- how many tax authorities do you have to register yeah. your corporate entity with? That's Basically really the key. That's the key. That's I mean, if you read Marx, you he's know, he's like there need to be many authorities. You read Hayek. Yeah, few. <laughs> One of the indexes that I've developed to determine if a government is socialist is I read how many uh, how many steps, how many pieces of paperwork you have to f- you have to turn in to start a small business like a mom and pop business. And then for each s- piece of paperwork, I take a small piece of red duct tape and I layer them vertically and the thickness of the government red tape determines how socialist the government is. <laughs> I mean, that wouldn't even work, though, as a visual <laughs> gag. I mean, I guess if you layered them, like, on a wall yeah, so it did yeah. actually, like, step up yeah. because they would be so thin in all yeah. the cases if you literally just put stuck pieces of tape on And then on I measure them with, a, with a, like, a dentist's microscope. One of those, like, lab things. Yeah, like, this like is mm, millimeters. Yeah. Yeah, and then I and then I post about it on um, the Heritage website. Right. The other thing that's kind of funny about this state ownership, I mean, that's straight out. I mean, this is the other thing. It's like, yeah, I did spend a lot of time digging and f- and like you know more than probably normal people would, but you can just go onto like the Norwegian s- state's website. 
and they put out these periodic documents uh, about the government's ownership policy. And it, it changes depending on who's in power, but you mm -hmm. can read them back going uh, about 10 years, and I, I've been reading through them. And one of the funny thing about, one of the thing I've learned about some of the state ownership is, yes, there's, when, when obviously left uh, parties are in power, that those are the more compelling documents. The right party basically is just like, we don't really like this that much, but we're keeping it. Yeah. <laughs> um, is it's used in ways that are, that I think people don't appreciate um, because usually we think about state ownership as, I don't know, just sort of like, um, driven by a desire to like collectively own things and stuff like that. And that's definitely a big part of it you see in the documents, but there's also a very practical element to it where they're saying, hey, we're a small country and if we want to hold on to our companies, right. we need to own them through the government. Because if we allow private people to own them, what is to stop this massive horde of American investors or, you know, European investors or Chinese investors to yeah. just buy our companies. What's to stop them from doing that? There's nothing. And if they buy the companies, then we lose the companies. Right. We lose the technical ability of those companies. We lose the ability to use their research and development and that sort of stuff. And so, like, they're using state ownership to stop outflows of capital, to stop... To, to hold on to companies um, and protect themselves as small economies, um, which is another kind of fascinating um, piece of it because a lot of times people, they like to emphasize the smallness of the countries. Right, right, right. To say it's like easier. Right, to, to have socialism in a small country. Yeah. yeah. And their smallness clearly is motivating some of their socialism but not in the way people think about it, where it's like, oh, well, they're small and homogeneous, but rather in the sense that we're small and we're in a global capitalist system where we can just get ravaged and destroyed right. by capital inflows and outflows. So we're going to own the stuff through the state, so that can't happen. So they're basically doing, partially what they're doing is capital controls. They're like bad stuff. Capital right. controls being, you know, when countries used to, and still to some degree, often when they're failed states, say you can't take money out of the country, you can't take capital right. out of the country. They're like just straight up saying, that's what we're doing. Right. We're not passing a rule saying you can't take capital out of the country. We're just nationalizing, nationalizing the companies. And then, the yeah, obviously they're not going out of the country because we own, we own right. the th things. Which is completely reasonable. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, but it's like, this is even more wild because not only are they state-owned, but they're intentionally state-owned as a backdoor way of doing capital controls, where capital controls are like the most evil thing right, to, right, right. you know, like conservative free marketer types. Right. And like always doomed to fail and so on. And so, so do you um, think that this rhetoric, this rhetorical strategy of trying to de-emphasize all the ways in which these countries have significant socialist, uh, let's say, uh, governing techniques or strategies or characteristics, whatever you want to call it, uh, trying to deny that or refuse to recognize it? Do you think it's out of ignorance that conservatives don't recognize it? Or do you think it's the fact that they're just good countries and so and conservatives don't have to reckon with the fact that there have been socialist, highly socialist inflected, to say the least, successes? Yeah, no, I think it's the latter mostly, right? I mean, so if you're if you're trying to write a take about 
the Nordic countries and you're trying to do it from a conservative perspective or even from a, a more moderate liberal perspective that, you know, you naturally gravitate towards uh, finding explanations that, you know, obviously confirm your priors and that sort of right. thing. And so that's going to lead you to, you know, I don't know. I, I imagine I, I, I try to think about how people write their takes and like one of the sad things you, I think, realize after you've read enough takes and you like, is that a lot of people, obviously they just like Google stuff. Yeah. And I mean, I Google a lot of stuff, but I Google a lot of stuff in the sense that I'm like trying to find the primary information. Yeah. But other people, clearly they just like read, they like yeah. surreptitiously read other takes. It's not plagiarism exactly, but like that's a big part of like right, right. what people do. And so, you know, you could type in, you know why Nordic countries aren't socialists and find a whole yes. bunch of pieces There's that are all literature. Yeah. yeah. And that they're mostly say the exact same things because they're all derivative of other people having also Googled for other things yeah. uh, of that sort. And then like kind of repeating them. Um, and so I think a lot of that happens where people, you know, they're trying to find a line to take and you know, that's the line that they find when they search for it and they kind of repeat it. Um, I guess the good news is that it seems like it should be easily collapsed. Oh, it's so easy to prove. Look, right, go right. on the website. Right. Go on the website. So Google's Norway state ownership report. They have them going back like 15 years. You can read, you know, 80-page documents about all their companies and what they're up to and how much money they make and uh, what percent of the board members are women. And like, I mean, it's a, you know, like right. it's hyper, hyper detailed. Um, and then they have their ownership policy, white papers, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that's just right there. The, the Finnish government, they have a um, department of state ownership. Yeah, you, like you're always reading their docs. It's literally called, like, the state ownership department or ministry of state ownership or something like they that. They should hire you to be their ambassador to the U.S. <laughs> you could just Google it. I've just Googled it now. Uh yeah, you can just Google it. You always got the PDFs going. The ownership steering department of the prime minister's office. And then you just search it, and it's like the state ownership. And then they just like, here are all our state-owned companies. And you they have links for all of them. Here are all 54 of them. Here's how much of them we own, that sort of stuff. Um, it's like, it's right here. It's in English. You don't even need to know the language. Um no one bothers to do that. No one, like, they uh, they just read takes. It's like everything is in the take world. No one right. punctures out of the take world and finds primary the information. The take world is its own universe. You can't no, and you, d you definitely see people who've been in the take world for a long time. Yeah, you can't exit the take world. It, it has its own reality. It has its own reality. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, all the informational inputs in your brain yeah. are coming from other takes. And it's been that way for, like, 10 years. And so you've, like, drifted slowly <laughs> away into your own reality. And you don't bring any other outside information in at all. And, right. like, obviously, at first, I think everyone brings some outside information in because it's like, well, I've just started writing. Right. And I've got things that I maybe have studied at school or yeah. something. But over time, you get people who are maybe on the lazier end of things. Yeah, yeah. Who do where it's like, yeah, this is like... It's like they're in their own literature or something. The take is coming um, from inside the house. Yeah, and it's wild. It's wild. And I mean, it's, it's a self-referential it recursive taking. Yeah, and like, yeah. yeah, and it's like, so So then like to get in on it, you know, people have to like 
go get into the take world to even understand what's going on. Um, but that does make for a lot of room for someone who is interested in like, I don't know, spending a ridiculous amount of time like reading uh, uh, other stuff to be like, hey guys, I have new things. I have new things. Here's some new things for the discourse. It's like, it reminds me <coughs> of the literature of like, uh, like post World War One uh, Europe, where like a bunch of people had come back from the World War and were like highly disillusioned with uh, bourgeois society, and were like, you're all living in a fake world of like etiquette and manners and I've seen real humanity and you're you're refusing to recognize the true nature of being you know you know that literature no I don't know that that, that vein of it's like that yeah that well it Hesse, definitely sounds like it Hesse from the description um, but that's all the time we have for today you know we gotta get the studio give it up for uh the, the next weeds. taping crew. Fox the Weeds is coming in. Yeah, after we us. gotta clear out uh, for the Weeds crowd. And Pod Save America. Yep. And Slate's Gab Fest. Yep. And what are some other ones? I don't listen to I actually do listen to the Weeds occasionally if they if the title of You the actually listen to so many podcasts. Planet Money tapes in here. Planet Money, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you listen to so many podcasts. I've, I've Tone down the planet money consumption just from trying to save myself from getting angry. Was um, it affecting your blood pressure? <laughs> well, and it's presented. It's like, of course, like the reason I don't like it is is often it's just like, oh, yeah, the free market, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's just like a given like, yep, this they, is how the they economy do it. Works. They do it like in um, like an Ira Glass, like in This American Life. Yes, voice. the style is <laughs> infuriating. <laughs> it's like light. It's like light like yuppie xylophone music yeah and it's like Jeanette loved collecting these glass figurines they right. meant so much to her but what she didn't know was what she really needed all along was the free market yeah no all this coming up next on planet money yeah and then they throw it to some robo advisor yeah. ads it's all robo advisors yeah. everything on that on that network is robo advisors. Yeah. Ro and, and like robo advisors are not a good deal either. Like yeah. <laughs> we should do, you need to do a planet money on why robo advisors are advertising on planet money. Maybe it's because the planet money has a lot of sort of affluent professional listeners who are also ultimately not that smart and are able to be conned into paying an extra, you know, 25 basis points for no reason to an uh, robotic in investment advisor. Just what is going on there? Sasha thought she liked spending time with her kids. But then a special piece of legislation came along, and to collect her welfare benefits, she had to get a job. She met the most amazing community at the local Arby's, and now her life is completely different. All this coming up on the welfare reform episode of Planet Money. What do you think? Planet Money is brought to you by... <laughs> Elvest. <laughs> Are you a professional woman who needs a 401k and IRA? I am, yeah. You should consider opening your account at Elvest. I will. A 401k and IRA provider for women, by women, and for an extra 0.25% management fee. Dude, you see there was an ad for Aussie Fest on Henwood's wall and it was like a conversation between Laureen Powell Jobs and Hillary Clinton and you had to buy tickets for that. Like 50 bucks to see that convo unfold.
Uh, you gonna spring for that? No, absolutely not. <laughs> Just brain would liquefy and drip out your nose. No, I would pay. <laughs> I would pay money to watch Hillary Clinton have a candid conversation. Yeah, like a I, candid conversation like, yeah, like yeah, behind or, closed doors. Yeah, like like you read the books and it's like yeah, she, people say she's totally she, cool. She's doors. cool and like swears and is funny or whatever. But yeah. that's not how she engages publicly in their public. With Loreen Powell Jobs, Aussie Fest. Who else? He said Malcolm Gladwell was going to be there. Yeah, what is this thing? I've never even heard of Ozzy Fest. Me, I mean, me I saw up. the the poster and it was like every other thing was either a weird centrist politician right. or here we go, here a we band. go. Ozzy Fest lineup. I'm clicking it now. Clicking it now. Whoo wee! We got Chelsea Handler. Oh God. We got Young the Giant. Is that a band? We know who that is. Oh, we got the cool Ethiopian Swedish judge from Chopped. Oh, I like that, that guy. That guy's cool. I like that guy. Uh, Marcus Samuelson. That's him. Yeah. Uh, we got Malcolm Gladwell. By the way, uh, Sweden, fully homogenous. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. I don't know where this Except guy came from. Except for that guy. Except for him. He's the only one. Except for him. Uh, let's see. We got Grover Norquist and Mark Sanford. We got Tom Perez with Dana Bash. And uh, we got... Uh, Salman Rushdie. All right. He's still still banking on that book. Isaac Mizrahi, Christian Siriano. Also with Dana Bash. Uh, Cynthia Nixon. Oh, pretty cool. Steven Pinker. How about that? Enlightenment Now. How about that? How about that? Uh, we got a segment on hypnotherapy. Ooh, that's weird. Hypnotize your ass. Uh, Tom Steyer, Chelsea Handler, Scott Rogowski, Michelle Wolf. She was funny. She, I don't like her voice. I like that she didn't just like, uh, you know, give up. We got Carl Rove. Could Trump be the next Reagan? That's just, you know, keeping it open to both sides, followed by Senator Gillibrand and Chelsea Handler, Ladies of Liberty. That's what they're calling it? That's what it's called. That's what the segment's called. VIP tickets, 306 bucks for a two-day pass. What does VIP get you? Exclusive festival experience, including complimentary food and drinks, celebrity meet and greets, and premier reserve seating. Which celebrities do I get a meet and greet? Well, I think you and I both know, not the real ones. So not for 300 bucks, please. I, I know. Yeah. It seems low to me. You're not going to be shaking hands with Hillary for 300 bucks. So you get bucks. free sandwiches and you get to meet Young the Giant. Yeah. Look okay, right. Thanks. And then general admission for your all-access pass to the festival grounds with up-close access at all stages. First come, first serve, along with gourmet food experiences and the hottest merchandise to try and buy. Oh, wow. Ooh. So you, you the ticket you, lets you buy merchandise. You have the opportunity to buy merch. That's really great. I would... I wish there was some way to buy merchandise without having to buy a ticket. But that was a, that's 134 bucks for a two-day pass, 99 for one day, 79 just for Sunday. And uh, let's see, let's see. So that looks pretty. I mean, it looks pretty good, honestly. Group Love is going to be involved. Passion Pit. I don't recognize any of these. Oh, I know Passion Pit. Roxanne Gay. I don't see Purity Ring on here, so I'm already disinclined. I don't think that one avails <laughs> avail itself bands. to a... <laughs> they don't do shows. I, I think that's a <laughs> exclusively computer-based uh, <laughs> experience. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. 
They do though, but but like like Animal Collective seems exclusively computer based. Yeah, but based, then but they, they do stuff. Yeah, they like get on stage and they just like sit there in front of their MacBooks. I'm fine by that. I'd see that. And I think they like yeah. I mean, I think they like compensate by just doing like crazy, you know, whatever like lights and you know they just go way overboard with the other stuff. But other but like fundamentally, it's <laughs> it's people pressing buttons on a laptop. I think. Um, Modern, modern day heroes that's a band does that ring no i don't know them how technology is transforming healthcare sponsored by intel well i mean it'd be that's interesting to know that future of everything that's steven pinker's sesh all right well keeping it humble impeachment is a strong word that's chelsea handlers you ready for this well, I mean, it it is a it is a strong word. Uh, I'd like to see her defend that linguistically. My friend Eugene Robinson's going to be doing a food demo with Roy Choi. Jealous as hell, man. Some Marcus of it looks uh, fine. I mean, that, that's the weird. I thing. I just want to say, Marcus Samuelson, if you're out there and you ever want to do a food demo with me, call me up. Marcus Call Anderson. Me up. Call me right now. I will eat whatever you make. He goes unchopped. And I will the, say it's good even if I don't like it. They make him, they, you know. They He's were, always nice. When they do like the epic ultra chop thing, where yeah. they're like, we bring back only past winners. Yeah. And then we make all of them go through a tournament. And then we bring our judges. We make all of them go through a tournament. Then we bring the best professionals. We make them. And like they're trying to find like the best of the best chops. And then like he comes in at the very end. And is like, all right, yeah, I can be all of you guys, and just like kills everyone. He just murders <laughs> he everyone. He just destroys them There's every just time. Bodies on the floor. And he just sits there and he's like, yeah. And, and he's like, good natured about it. He's like, oh well, all our cuisines are very different, and I appreciate the opportunity <laughs> to be here. You know what it is? He's like really efficient in the he's kitchen. He's super efficient. And that's he's like a fast. big piece of it. And it, but it's funny. It's so funny. It's like this judge. He beat. He could beat everyone. He beats the sandwich king. <laughs> he beats the sandwich, <laughs> sandwich guy so bad. He beats the celebrities. Rachel Ray took her down. And it's like, but like, think about the premise of the show is like, we're bringing in real chefs yeah. and we're going to have them perform in front of judges. And then like, every time it gets to like a, a peak period where they're like, we've got the best of the best of the best of the best. And Samuelson just comes in and just squashes them. Yeah. It's like, it's so anticlimactic. It's so, it's just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's just destructive. It's, it's, it's just a dumb, He's a totally dominant player. It's the Nordic precision. <laughs> it's it's, it's so amazing. good. I love it. I love it's the gimmick, amazing. even though like no one ever beats him. No. And he's a dominant force. <laughs> it's so good. I love and he's it. also he seems like a really nice guy. He seems like a really cool guy. Oh yeah, he's completely supportive of everyone. Yeah. Um, he's like in the spirit of the game, and also he just owns it completely. It's not even close. It's not. No, no, not no. Even close. Everyone else's food just looks like dog shit. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, good job on all your lean cuisines. He's like, I invented a new dish today yeah. um, while I was um, thinking five seconds before the round. Yeah. And uh, I also made a new technique, a new cooking technique no one's ever done before. And so I just used the, you know, quasi conductor uh, over here. Strange piece of equipment. Uh, whatever. I just thought it might be fun. See if you like it. And people are like, oh, my God. This is revolutionary. And everyone else is like, uh, I did a chicken sandwich. I took the uh, part that I didn't know what to do and I put it in a blender. 
and then I like I just breaded the meat with the carb. <laughs> 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 I breaded the meat with the carb. And I took the rest of it, put it in a blender, and put some vinegar, and then I sprinkled that over it. That's I call that a sauce. And Marcus Samuelson's like, that's really good. That mm, was that's really good. Yeah, that's really, that's really creative. <laughs> All right, we got to get out of here for the weeds, guys. <laughs> yeah. All right. uh, bye. Thank you very much.